Well, good morning. I'm so glad that you're here. We want to welcome those worshiping with us online. Listen, today we've got COVID, we've got rain, and look around at the people you'll see in heaven. Here they are right here. These are the folks. I am so impressed that you came. You know, I always pray, Lord, I thank you for the rain. Could it be either before or after church, but not during because, you know, it's sometimes our crowd, not you, but other people, they're put off a little bit by that, but here you are. We've got hurricane bans. We've got COVID stuff going on. We're trying to get over it, and here you are. I'm so impressed. I'm, let's, just, let's just look at each other for a minute and celebrate. How about that? Huh? <laughs> I'm glad you're here. Now, look, we're in the fifth sermon of a 10-part series, and if you haven't been here or you missed it, you can go online and you can watch any sermon. So you can just go to woodlawnpcb.info, uh, uh, and you can go to sermons, and you can look at anything we've got. Go back, and so you can pick up the last four if you want to, um, and or maybe the first one and just kind of get the, the pre-part and then continue on, and it'll go through 10, and so we're glad that you're a part of it. Glad that you could come. And some of you may have perfect attendance for all 10 sermons, and you will get extra credit. It will go on your permanent record, and it'll make a huge difference in your life. Just checking. Okay. All right, now, look, I want to talk to you about something today before we get started, because what we're going to talk about is around this very thing. God created us, and he gave us all gifts. And I want you to look at the person next to you and say, you have a gift. You may have more than one. You have a gift. Tell them that right now. Now, anytime that happens, here's what happens. People say, um, no, I don't have a gift. You may have a gift, but I don't have a gift. But that's not true. God created every person with gifts. And so what he wants us to do is use our gifts in the life of the church. We are the bride of Christ. We're the body of Christ. And so if every person uses their gift, then we are the best we can be, right? Well, what happens is that people um, want to get involved, want to use their gift, but maybe they're afraid. But see, if God gives you the gift, you're going to be good at it. It's going to be something you enjoy, and so it's something you can celebrate. So I want you to think about that in terms of your life, your ministry, uh, your place, you know, the glory sightings in your life, what you see God doing in your life and the people around you, and how you might be a part of that. Now, there's a way to describe that, and here's what it is. We call that niche picking. Niche picking. You know what that means? It means you pick a niche and get in it and do it. And so you have a gift. You, you know what it is. You take the gifts test. You go to Woodlawn Way. You find out what it is. And then you apply it. You niche. Everybody say niche picking. Right? Okay? As opposed to nitpicking. Don't say nitpicking. We don't like that. Now, nitpicking is where you're so busy critiquing everybody else and what they do or don't do that you don't have time to do what you're gifted to do. You know that? And so what happens is that people who complain, people who micromanage, people who are struggling, you didn't do it right, yada, yada, yada. What, what they're doing is they're wrapped up in other people, and God never intended that for that to happen. So what he intends to happen is for each one of us to use our gifts. Now, if you're busy using your gift for God, you don't have time for nitpicking. A wise person has said, you can't row the boat and rock it at the same time. Amen? Yeah. So, and, and so here's the deal. Sometimes we have preferences in life, right? These are things we like. These are things, this is the way we think it ought to be. But then we also have 
purpose is in life, okay? Now, here's the deal. God's purposes always trump our preferences. How about that? And so people say, well, I like a small church. Well, good for you. I'm just happy for you, but that's not biblical, okay? God said we want to reach everybody for Christ. We want everybody who's lost to come to know him. So there's nothing in the Bible that says after you get so many, it's my family and my friends, and then that's it. We're drawing the line. Nobody else can come, right? No. He says, no, we want to reach. As long as there's one unchurched person in the area, then the church is never too big right? Because the church is the body of Christ. And we want everybody to go to heaven, don't we? Yeah. And so we want to celebrate that. Now, here's what happened. Jesus comes along and he's got this brand new covenant because the, the Israelites had a covenant with God. It was a covenant to, for them to follow and be obedient to him and do the things that the law had taught them with Moses. And they were just trying to do what they'd been instructed to do. And Jesus reveals for the first time, he said, I've come and everything's going to change. And he's got this upside-down kingdom. Now, in most kingdoms, the king's in charge, right? And the king says that you are my subjects, and if, if it's necessary, you're going to have to go into battle, and you may lose your life for me because I'm the king, so you're going to fight for the kingdom, right? But Jesus comes along, and he said, no, that's not the way it goes. It's upside-down. He says, I'm going to come along beside you, and I'm going to get up under that burden that you're carrying, and I'm going to help you with it. In fact, I'm going to take it from you. In fact, I... I'm going to die for you, those who follow me. And so he's, he totally, and they never had heard anything like that before. And he, then he would say this. He would say, you have heard it said, but I say. And last week I talked about several of those. He would tell them what they've learned in the past, the way that they thought that God wanted them to live, the way that they were taught. And he said, but, but I've come to do something new. And when he would tell them that, there would be this tension. Because it's like this. Think about if, you're, if your values in life, if the things that are non-negotiable for you, if somebody came along all of a sudden and said, okay, we've got to put that away, throw that out the window, because we're going to change everything, it would be very hard for you to do that if you would do it at all. And that's really what was going on here for many of them. And he said in Matthew, the fifth chapter to them, because he felt the tension, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, okay? And then it goes on in Matthew 7 and says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. In fact, they'd never heard anybody teach like that before. Because what the teachers would teach, they would teach the law as they knew it. But Jesus just spoke in ways that they had never heard before. And it was amazing to them, and he was very popular. And so the issue surfaced in his teaching, well, how much authority does Jesus really have? Does Jesus have more authority than Moses did? Uh, who are we supposed to follow? Because he's coming up against all the laws that Moses put into place. Is this really the person that we've waited for for centuries? Is this guy really the Messiah? And soon after this, Jesus had an interesting conversation with the Pharisees. Now, here's what happened. Everywhere that Jesus went, there was a big crowd. And the big crowd was there, but the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders, were there as well. And what they were doing is they were watching Jesus, and they were nitpicking everything he did or everything the disciples did. Instead of doing their job and nitpicking, they're nitpicking, right? 
And so here's what's going on. They're waiting, and what they're always trying to do, they're trying to get Jesus separated from the crowd because they can't arrest him if he's with the crowd because the, the crowd's with him. He's got, he's got their influence, you know. They're, they're listening to him. And so they're always trying, and they're always just sticking, in, you know, this little comment in there, sticking in this thought. And, and so they're always saying, you do this wrong, you do this wrong, you do this wrong. And so Jesus has to deal with that. So in Matthew 12, here's what happened. At the time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. In other words, they're working on the Sabbath. And we're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, right? And they're working. And Jesus is going, you know what? They're not breaking the law of the Sabbath. There's nothing that says you can't break off grains of wheat and eat them if you're hungry. And he said, besides that, your priests work on the Sabbath. In other words, it was like your preachers go work on the Sabbath on Sunday. They go to church, right? And finally, he says, you're concerned about breaking the Sabbath, but you've got it backwards. And then he says this, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, you're kind of majoring in the minors. We gave you a day of rest so you could do just that. It's for your benefit. And it's not just about following the rules all the time, but it's about loving God and being obedient to him and faithful to him. And Jesus said to them, you think your law is more important than the people and you've got it backwards. And that's what they thought. And, and they, they were focused on their religion and they neglected the people that the religion was created for. They prioritized the law over the people. So many people just walked away because of legalism, because legalism will always pick a view over a you. You know, it's like, well, we're going to do this, you know, no matter what happens. And that's not, the, that's not what he wanted at all. He said, you know, the people are more important than the perspective there. Finally, Jesus said, you're so concerned about the Sabbath. You're so concerned about the law. You're so concerned about the temple. But I want to just give you some information. And this is where he blew them away. We talked about this a little bit last week. He says in Matthew, the 12th chapter, I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. Now, not something greater than the temple is coming. Something greater than the temple is here. I don't know if you can really understand the impact of that statement. I'm going to try to unpack that for us today. But here's the point. If you tell a religious person in those days that something greater than the temple is here, you're holding up something else above their greatest value because they associate the temple with God and the law and the way that God wants them to live. And that's their way of life. And they're willing to die for it. And so now he's saying something greater than the temple is here. That's blasphemy to them. In their minds, no individual person could possibly be greater than the temple. And that's a threat because it's a threat to the temple. It's a threat to the nation. It's a threat to their way of life. And the Jewish population in the first century would rather die to protect that section of real estate, the temple, than anything. In other words, if you came to them and you said, I'm going to tear down the temple, they would say, over my dead body. And they're not just talking. Okay, when they say that, they're serious about it. They mean it because the temple housed the law and it was the place that God lived. And it was the epicenter of worship and nothing was more important to them in those days. The temple and the nation and God, it was all tied together. And it, here's a perfect illustration. Seven years after 
Jesus said this in the year 40 after he said something greater than the temple is here. In the year 40, the citizens of Jerusalem got wind of something that was about to happen. You, you know how that happens? You ever hear rumors? And then you repeat rumors? And then people talk about it? And the next thing you know, everybody goes, well, it's going to happen because everybody said it's going to happen. And it may not happen, okay? Well, this was a rumor, but it was a true rumor. And here's what happened. The emperor at that time was Caligula. And Caligula was going to send a statue of himself to the coast. And then he wanted some folks to take that statue and he wanted them to take that statue of him inside the temple in Jerusalem. Now what he's doing is he's just picking a fight with the Jewish people. He's just saying, you think that's important? I'm more important than that is. Let's just see who wins. And Petronius, the governor of Syria, at that time was given an assignment. I want you to meet uh, the, the statue it's going to be at the coast, and I want you to transport it. I want you to take it to Jerusalem, and I want you to place it inside the temple. Now, when he arrived in the port city before they got to Jerusalem, in order to take possession of the statue, there were thousands and thousands and thousands of Jewish people there. Now, here's what I want you to realize what they were doing. When Petronius threatened violence and he said, we're going to go to war if you don't get out of my way and let me do what I got to do. Instead of fighting back, these Jewish people got down on their knees and they pulled their cloak back like this. And they said, if you're going to try to put that statue in my temple, God's temple, then it's going to be over my dead body. And here's my throat. You can just slit it right there because I'm not going to let that happen. We are willing to die, they said, before we will let you desecrate our temple. In fact, the first century Jewish historian Josephus says the Jewish people threw themselves on their faces and they stretched out their throats and they said, we are ready to be slain. Does it sound like these folks are serious about what they believe? You talk about believing what you believe. I mean, you're going to the mat over this. In fact, uh, what we see is that they did this for 40 days. They didn't just do this as a little protest and go home and say, what are we having for lunch? They did this for 40 days. And the farmers went on strike. And the economy was in jeopardy. And Petronas didn't know what to do. And so he wrote a letter to the emperor asking for advice. Now, this is an interesting plot twist. In the providence of God, while the letter was on its way to Rome, the Roman senators conspired with the Roman Praetorian Guard and they had Caligula assassinated and the crisis was averted. averted. Wow. And then Jesus said something greater than the temple is here. And in their minds, they said, that's impossible. There's nothing greater than the temple. Now, which temple is this? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you, this was the second temple. This is the temple that King Herod built for the Jewish people. The first temple, you remember, Solomon built, the son of David. David got the supplies. God said, you can't build it. Your son Solomon's going to build it. And Solomon had built it, but it was destroyed around 586 B.C. So this is the temple that Herod built. Later, the people were expelled from the city. And what happened was that the Babylonians came in and they carted off the treasure in the temple along with some of the best and the brightest people there in Israel and they took them back to Babylon. And you know who went? Shadrach, Meshach, and away we go, right? <laughs> you can always tell the biblical scholars, they get that job. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, and other people went. And for some years later, the, the Persian emperor then, Cyrus the Great, he allowed them then after they had lived in exile, he allowed them to go back to Jerusalem. And he said, you can rebuild the temple, but you can't build it to its former glory. You can only build a, a kind of a smaller version of it. And the Bible tells us that these people wept because they, it was not going to be near the grand and glorious temple that they had known in the past. These people say, we love God. We love the temple. We, it's like the, the highest valued things that they had in their life. Now, here's what happened. 20 years before Jesus was born, Herod the Great goes to the city of Jerusalem, to the Jewish people. He says, I'm going to restore the temple to its former glory. In other words, I'm going to build a really big temple once again. And he gave him permission to go ahead. And for 20 years, um, so 20 years before Jesus shows up, the temple is rebuilt and it is extraordinary. There's cut stone in places. The walls are as much as 100 feet high. And the stone that's prepared for the temple itself, there's a big plaza, 37 acres. It's amazing that they've done all this stone. And then the temple structure itself is about 60 feet high, and the entire temple plaza is of cut stone. Now, some of these stones, this is how big they were, 11 by 16 by 44. And some of these stones wore, weighed 500 tons. And so what, what happened was this was a place where earthquakes were frequent. That's why they had to keep rebuilding. The Muslims did every time it would, it would fall apart. But here's what they're saying. Here it's going to build what he wants to be an earthquake-proof temple for the Jews, something greater than the temple. And when Jesus says that, they're looking at the temple, and they're looking at Jesus, and they're going, how could anything be greater than the temple? Do you see, the, do you see what's going on here? And then in Mark it says this. In the 13th chapter, as Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. And Jesus responds, Do you see all these great buildings? Replied Jesus, Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Now that seemed impossible to them. When they looked at that, it was just no way. Because here's what they're saying. The only force that could do that would be the Roman army. And the Roman army is not about to tear down a temple that King Herod built. Herod built the temple to keep the Jews quiet, keep them at peace. And the end of the temple would mean the end of the world as they knew it. So the disciples, they're making their way with Jesus, and they're going to the Mount of Olives, okay? Now, here's the deal. Here's Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem. It's over here. And then there's the Kidron Valley, and then over here is the Mount of Olives, okay? So when you go to the Mount of Olives now, the reason they call it that is just a hill, and there were a lot of olive trees on it at the time. And so you're over here, but you're looking across this little Kidron Valley, and you're looking to the city of Jerusalem. There's a picture in my office. It's one of the pictures you always see of the Holy Land because it's that perspective looking from the Mount of Olives back at Jerusalem because that's where the temple was. It was on that side of Jerusalem, okay? And so as they're making their way there, you know, they're sitting on the Mount of Olives now, and it says, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? And he said, when this takes place, you'll know it because an army will surround the city. And he said, and you'll know the destruction of the city is about to happen. And he said, when that happens, you need to leave. This was early evacuation right here. You think we just started that, right, with hurricanes? No, they said, get out of town. 
If this starts happening, if you see these signs coming, you need to leave because it's going to be terrible. Pray, he says, that your wife will not be pregnant during these days. He said, men are going to die by the sword. Pray for mercy. And they will pray to die. And they will be extraordinary. And, and all this stuff that he predicted will take place. And Jesus is heartbroken when he's telling this because he knows that it's going to happen. And he's not exaggerating. Forty years after Jesus tells them this, that's exactly what happened. After four years of battling with Jewish gangs, they created an uprising against Rome. So here are these gangs, these young men, and they said, we've had enough of being under somebody else's thumb. We've had enough of being conquered by Rome. We got people who are mad. We got people who can fight. We're going to go up against them and see if we can't beat them. And so they raise up these armies all over Galilee and Judea. And these young men are thinking to themselves, this is our time. We can rise up and conquer Rome. And Rome sent in the 10th Legion along with others. And they begin to herd these Jewish rebels from the northern part of Israel south. And they finally get them down to Jerusalem and they round them up in the city. And they build this stone wall around the city. And by this time, Vespasian, who started the war, has gone on to become the emperor. And so he leaves his son Titus in charge. And they say, we're just going to besiege the city. We're just going to camp out outside the city. And we're going to wait. Because the Jewish people, a lot of them are still coming into this festival. They're having this festival. And so when they first get there, the, the Roman authorities say, well, you can't go into the city. But then Vespasian says, no, let them in. Open the gates. So they open the gates and they let them in. And they accompany them into the city. And then he says, when they get inside, seal it. And he said, we're going to cut off all their food supply. And he says, then it will be depleted faster. And what happened was a terrible thing, a horrible thing in the city. Here's what happened. These Jewish people, they fought with the Roman people by day. But listen to this. They fought with each other at night. Have you ever noticed power groups trying to take power, trying to take over, and they go in and they say, we got a great cause and we're going to fight for the cause, and then it gets corrupted. And what happens is, well, the cause is all about me and I want to be in charge. No, it's all about me and I want to be in charge. No, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? And then they go, and so then they start fighting with themselves over the whole deal. So they're fighting the Romans by day and they're fighting each other by night. Even I can see this is not going to end well. Okay, because who are you going to beat that way? And so they're trying, they, but they know they're going to expel the Romans. They know they're going to be victorious. That's why they start fighting. Who can be first? Who, who can sit on your right and your left like the disciples asked Jesus? And on August the 6th, A.D. 70, the second wall was breached. The 10th Legion went into the city, killed just about everyone they could that they didn't take into slavery. They burned up everything in the temple. And then they literally dragged every single stone used to build the temple over to the edge of the plaza, and they dumped it into the valley below. And if you go to Israel, you can still see it today. It's right there. And they were saying, this is the end of Judaism as we know it. In fact, today, from the southwest corner of the Temple Mount, you can see those stones for yourself. And it was never rebuilt. And on that day, ancient Judaism died never to be resurrected as Jesus predicted. Then around 700 AD, the Muslims came in and they built the Dome of the Rock, and that's what you see, a picture of that today. What happened was an earthquake destroyed it, they rebuilt it, an earthquake destroyed it, they rebuilt it. It's just boom, 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 one after another. And then finally in 1099, the Crusades retook the city and they turned the church, um, I mean the mosque, into a church. 
And then 88 years later, Saladin came along and retook the city for the Muslims, turned the church back into a mosque, which it is today. And then that's when rabbinic Judaism was born. It was replacing the ancient Sinai Judaism that was never resurrected as Jesus predicted. He said not one stone will be left, and it wasn't. Every one of them will be thrown down. Now, the group of people who followed the apostles were called the church fathers, and the church fathers were quick to do exactly what I'm doing today. The church fathers were quick to say, aha, it happened just as Jesus predicted it would. Jesus is who he claims to be. Jesus predicted this would happen, and it did. But the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, didn't say that. Why? Because when the gospels were written, the temple was still standing. The fulfillment of this prediction hadn't yet taken place. And when Jesus tells them, the temple will be destroyed. His heart is broken because he knows they're going to suffer in a way that's unimaginable. But Jesus was clear the days of the temple, God's covenant with the nation of Israel, that's coming to an end and he will be replaced by something new. And 20 years later, the apostle Paul writes to the people in Corinth and here's what he said. Do you not know your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. And what he's saying is you've been bought with a price. Now, here's what I want you to catch on. In that day, holiness was associated with places, geography, buildings. In fact, we even talk about the holy land, right? Well, let's go to the holy land. Well, the only thing that made it holy was Jesus was there, you know. But, but So they'll go to places and they'll say, well, this is a special sacred place. And what Jesus came to do was to say, we got a new covenant. It's a different kind of kingdom. It's a kingdom where you can have a relationship with God and the kingdom is going to be in your heart and the Holy Spirit is going to live inside of you. And you are a temple of God. It's not like the old kingdoms. It's totally different. They never heard anything like that before. How can that be? So it's not about objects and it's not about geography and it's not about sites anymore. But now it's all about relationship and freedom in God. And at the cross, Jesus paid the price so that we might be forgiven of our sins. And he said something greater than the temple is here. And he was referring to himself because Jesus made a way for you and me to have a relationship with God. And so you're a part of the kingdom. You don't have to go somewhere. You don't have to be in a certain sacred place. You don't have to live in a certain part of the world. You, you carry the kingdom around with you because God lives in you if you're a Christian. The Holy Spirit is there. Inside. The Spirit of God is alive inside of you. And before the resurrection, the invitation was extended. How much more significant is it today now that Jesus has been resurrected? So the invitation is simply follow me. Follow me for the meaning of life and for the meaning of eternity. Follow me. You'll never be the same again because I've demonstrated my faithfulness. You can see it in me. I've given you more than enough evidence that I am the one the Father sent and you can have a relationship with him through me. And so we're going to pick that up next week, but here's your homework, okay? Before we go, here's what I want you to do. Look at the person next to you and I want you to say, pick your niche. Not your nose. Pick, pick 
your niche and get in it. Use your gifts. Do what you're called to do for God. All right? Let's pray. Father, we're just so grateful that you give us all this history, but it, it has a reason. There's a purpose for it. It's not just a bunch of stuff that happened a long time ago, but it impacts us today. Lord, I pray that we might take it to heart. I pray that we might know about it. We might share it. We might live it for you and for the kingdom. Lord, I pray that we might say the church is never too big as long as there's one unchurched person around us. And so we're, we want to be about your business. That's why we're here on this earth, to spread your word to those who do not know you. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen.